0: hear this song we are all wearing blue all right welcome guys you can hear this song we are all wearing blue and that's thanks to us uh you know everson our fashion designer over there (laughs) my name is max and we also have patrick who's our rainbow bear that's his nickname for the week we have a fun exciting show for you and we're going to change it a little bit here where we answer a lot of questions that you guys have submitted to us we want to make sure that uh you guys are improving, that you're learning, and you're also keeping up with our conversation. So we're going to have a few definitions for some of the terms that we use. Um, We want to make sure that we're helping you becoming a better trader, more consistent, more stable, and more emotionless in terms of trading. That's our job. That's what we're here for. We're trying to share our information, our own conversation, our mastermind with you guys, and see if it can help you guys in terms of trading and analyzing the market. We want to make sure that uh, you understand that this is more for entertainment purposes. We're just having this conversation um, and and telling each other what we see in the market. If this information can help you guys forward, go ahead and take that. But uh, make sure that you get some great advice from uh, professional advisors in the stock market. Now, we want to talk a little bit about what we saw last week. Uh, I can tell Patrick's excited. So let's go with you, Patrick. What did you see last (laughs) week? How did it feel?
1: Well, it sounds to me like we're back into the fear of missing out phase already, which kind of surprises me because I I expected last week to be a lot more negative with unemployment skyrocketing and everything. It feels like
2: I told you it was priced in.
1: Yeah, it feels like it's not affecting the market at all, even though to me it's going to have long-lasting ripple effects, but I was thinking of analogies for it and I believe that it's kind of like a bathtub where even though the water is draining out, the government poured so much money uh, yeah, so much water into it that the level of the water is still rising and I think that's going to last for a little while, but if you look at Tesla, which everyone knows that I'm not a huge fan, but um, it's back in the 700s. To me, that's like speculation-type stock, right? So I feel like we're back in that phase where people are afraid that they're going to miss the bottom, so they're piling onto it, pouring all of their money off the sidelines. But to me, it's still a premature, and that's what I've been uh, looking at this week. I didn't see any opportunities that really uh, – stuck out in my mind so i've been a little bit more cautious this week but i'm curious to see what you guys thought
0: all right Emerson, uh what did you feel like uh, last week what did you see what did you notice
2: um i it was a good week it, it's been a good week the last two weeks has been a good week of trades for me um uh, i i guess can i mention some of the trades now or would you like mention some of the trades later
0: yeah absolutely uh, okay. you know share some of your uh, your successes last week and some insights so
2: I I did a lot of money moving um, but I, I did a lot of uh, you know calls prior that really set itself up for success I I kind of noticed that about my trading patterns is that I would set um, positions uh, maybe a month or two in advance and I wouldn't see them flourish until until later uh, <clears throat> Perfect point in, in case was a, a company called Waste Management. I think it was like last year. I waited a whole year for it to to get to the numbers that I wanted it to. And uh, I'm just going through I'm just going through my gains, uh, the gains and lost. Uh, I did let's see here did about four thousand on a on a trade on that one. So it was a it was a pretty good, good good trade on that. I, I think I was up about two hundred percent, somewhere around that that ballpark figure. Um, <clears throat> But as far as the, the overall growth, I have picked up on a conservative play, American Express, and I've also picked up HIKO. Based upon what we were, we were talking about uh, as far as the utilities, I thought uh, HIKO, which is Hawaiian Electric, is not going to go anywhere. They had a uh, protest that had been going on for a little bit, and because of the coronavirus, it, they – won't be able to do the, the protests so it gives wind for kiko hawaiian electric to be able to build the wind farms that they've been wanting to build so they're moving forward with that project um, i know it's a sensitive subject for some people um and i mean th- that's just the way the government is doing business right now so but, that's but here on point. this
0: show i'm sorry to interrupt but on this show we're just trying to t- uh talk the facts you know we're the not facts, trying to add right. emotions and that's exactly what right. you're doing you're just giving us the facts
2: Right. Absolutely. And so when I look at the, uh, the overall growth, I mean, people are staying at home. They're using electric. So obviously electric bills will go up and, you know, people will be charged for those electric bills uh, uh, regardless. So it just plays in for the Hawaiian electric, I think. And it sits on a pretty good dividend. So that's kind of been my strategy moving forward. And we kind of talked about it a few episodes back about the dividend play. So I just see it just being either consistent. If it's null and consistent, then I gain the dividend and it's no problem for me. I'll sell it off for a one to 2%, maybe 4% at, at best, you know. Uh, but I think it'll climb higher from there. I also pick it up, as I said, American Express, because I saw that their fundamentals look pretty good. Um, they have good practice for one part. I've been with American Express for a very long time. I like their dividend also. So with the same concept, concept it's my, my conservative place. As far as my wrist plays, I got back into your favorite, Max AMD, but I did a, oh my gosh. I, I did either, I don't know what you would call it, maybe a straddle. Uh, I did a call and a puts on them. So I'm buying the, the calls for 424 and I'm buying puts for the fi- uh, May, May the 1st. Uh, I also sold out my position on Johnson & Johnson for uh, over, a, well, around 100% profitability in, in about two, three days. So it was an awesome week for me. Uh, you know, that, that being said, um, I wanted to talk about your your bathtub analogy. Yeah, two point two $2.2 2 trillion. That makes a big difference, especially when they're rolling out those $1,200 $1, checks. And more received, coming. Right, and more coming. I mean, I know I received my check, was it two days ago, on the 14th or whatever it was? I haven't used it yet, but I mean, probably, I, I don't know what,
1: do
0: with it i don't know <laughs> what spring. stock you're gonna buy now <laughs> right but yeah um, that's just some of the plays that i've done all on,
1: all on tesla puts uh tesla calls remember oh there you go it's going <laughs> to the ceiling. i'm actually there. a
2: buyer of tesla and it's it's at levels where i could take profit soon
0: so i mean there you go uh so it, it for patrick and i you know investing in in pa- um tesla it's not really a good idea. It doesn't match our strategy, but for Everson it does. So it just depends what kind of investor you are and what your strategies are. And that's why I love this show because we have three traders and we trade very differently. And not just that, but Patrick and I are basically in the same vehicles, and our strategy is very different, which is very interesting. So, you know, if if you guys can understand who you are what kind of risk tolerance you have, your emotions, and you can sort of build a, a trading style or strategy based on that. And it's also what you're comfortable with. Um, a great can I interject
2: something real quick?
0: I'm yeah, sorry. Sure. Uh, so
2: the reason why I, I would be a buyer of Tesla is, is more for the fundamental concept that China has big equity into Tesla. Uh, as well as the United States, as we know that Tesla has been created in the United States in the state of California. Um, with, with that being said, now they've built their mega facility in China. China's poured out billions of dollars into the company. When I look at Chinese investments, you get a GDP um, decline of six point. I, I don't know what was like six point two or six point eight, somewhere around that. Six point eight, yeah. Um, and that was on Chinese I- economy, right? And so. They haven't really moved very much. I mean, it, it it's a it's a decline. It's a pretty good decline. But they haven't really moved very much, you know, for for, for, for the fact being that the, the virus has come out of China, I, I would kind of, like, you look at the charts, right? You look at uh, Alibaba, for instance, the stock Alibaba. It hasn't really moved. Um, and if you had actually invested in the, you know, Alibaba, it was on the uptrend. So why why are Chinese stocks not declining more than what they're doing now? Uh, it, it seems like more better buying in opportunities than it is to, to sell Chinese stocks. So it's kind of why I, I, I favored Tesla. So,
0: so you just basically gave Tesla a Chinese label. Is that what, what? you just did?
2: It, it's part but, owner now. All of the, parts, so you the don't think that they're trying to out. funnel
0: more, the, re- um, more, um, into nio which is basically the chinese version of tesla
2: i would see well, well nio is hopes and dreams right i mean there's no True. tangible reality yes. with nio <laughs> you know it's but like the thing is share. it's held
0: by the government right which makes it more stable even though it's not a stable fundamentally uh sound company yet
2: i wouldn't necessarily agree with it um because it, it's NIO, I believe, is like one of your pump and dumpers. You're gonna, you're gonna buy into it. They're gonna take advantage of you, and just like pigs to the slaughter, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think that's pigs to the slaughter. I've lost a lot of money on NIO, um, thinking that it would, it would go up, and it took a, it took a massive
0: dump. So don't um, tell me you bought at nine or ten.
2: Well, I don't think I bought it at nine or ten, but that was quite, quite some time ago. Uh, I learned my lesson, so I, I just I. I don't like hopes and dreams. I like realities and facts. So
1: <laughs> and you're going for Tesla now? So yeah. So to, to, to
0: the well the way you view NIO. Right. The way you view NIO is the exact same way I view AMD right. and uh and Tesla. Because right. their PE ratio doesn't reflect right. anything that I'm willing to invest in. And just uh AMD, you have to pay in $150 for the company to produce one dollar for you. But, you know, Patrick, why are you staying out of Tesla? Do you feel the same way as me where, you know, you're, you're not seeing a return on your investment yet?
1: Yeah. So basically, there's two reasons I can think of. Uh, talking about AMD, the reason why I like them a lot more than you do, the PE ratio is terrible. And that's why I'm not investing in it right now. Correct? Like we all agree on that. But <laughs> their market share is so much higher and they're making a product that everyone is using. Everyone needs like processors, workstations. You can't deny that that is very, very good. And that's a product that they're specializing in. And uh, Everson talked about the CEO a few times. The CEO totally turned that company around. Amazing turnaround. Yeah, they they weren't profitable for what, like 20 Years. years or something like that. Yeah. They were always second in everything they did. And now they're first in a lot of products so Mm -hmm. to me that has nothing to do with tesla tesla the big problem is that their their technology when it comes to batteries is excellent but they're trying to expand yeah but they're trying to expand into all these other products like solar where their reviews are abysmal and the reason why is because they make all these promises that they don't keep uh one guy was saying uh i watch a lot youtube videos about it and one guy was saying that elon musk is excellent at making profit at every level well except at the company level because they have no profits like since the beginning right so that's the main thing that i don't like if they were focusing more on their batteries and the cars are successful that would be one thing i still think the price was high but You know, if they're in the growth phase, it's understandable. But the fact that they're trying to make all these promises like solar at $60 a month, no contract, and they're going to put like $10,000 worth of panels on someone's roof. It's to me, I compare it to MoviePass, like making promises that aren't realistic economically.
2: Well, I mean, if we look at it, though, we look at Tesla, right? And just going off with what you said, um, Elon Musk has always been a a man that has looked at hopes and dreams and tried to execute on it with that being said i mean it's not it's not that they're not making a profit when you look at the okay just take the electric car uh, industry for example there is no company except for tesla that's starting to see earnings growth and starting to see profitability but tesla you look at ford you look at gm you look at all of your major car carriers and it's, it's extremely hard to invest in electric cars because of the battery. And the battery is the most expensive component. And no one's known how to master that bat- battery technology but Tesla. Tesla went from having a really big battery to having a battery now that's about that small. That's amazing technology to pack that much juice Absolutely. into a battery.
1: So their tech- about I just to need to answer to advance. that. just need to answer. As I mentioned, their technology is excellent. And there is a very high barrier to entry. So when they progress into it, they'll be very, very hard to beat, in my right. opinion. Yeah. Definitely. But that's why but that's why I call it a speculative stock. They're not there yet. So everyone is hyped up about it and is investing their money into it and it tripled like from two hundred to seven fifty. Like that's amazing or quadrupled. That's amazing. But to me that's sp- Exactly a speculative stock, especially in this market where they aren't delivering any profits. I get that. And that's how speculative... I feel about it.
0: Yeah. Real quick, um, and and I see Elon Musk as a great visionary. You know, Absolutely. able to to identify what the future could be and trying to articulate that future to investors and try to create that that prophecy as well. Um, and so I, I kind of see him as a Walt Disney, a visionary. Um, and and oh, yeah. trying to, to move, to progress things forward and achieve dreams. The problem I have with Tesla and Elon Musk is he doesn't have his Roy Disney, his brother, that's able to see the vision, understand how they're going to achieve it, and make it a sustainable business. And uh, so that's Uncle why Chi. I'm not willing to go. He, what? He has Uncle Chi. Or, or. X,
2: oh. or whatever. <laughs> uh,
0: President Chi. <laughs> Just uh, just look at to in the fundamentals of Tesla and and to me that's why it's just spe- speculating It's it in my opinion. It's not a good investment for the way you're trading ever since since you like big movements You know, it, it's a good move. It's for It's definitely
2: you. momentum. Yeah, you don't want to stay too long for For anything that's speculative in my opinion uh, but at, at the same time, I just I've seen the company too long to to ignore You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just been too long for me because I've been following it to ignore it. And I, I have a so, pattern that I understand.
0: So when I was uh, on Wall Street, this was 2012. Uh, one of the guys at the firm was trying to sell. And he was a, a newer guy. He was, he was like uh, a little bit older than me into the, uh, the firm. He was trying to sell Tesla. And what he said is, this is what's going to make me good. I'm going to start calling people in Texas and try to sell Tesla and the stock was selling at $22 around that time. No way. If I remember, 22 mm-hmm. 24 bucks. And he's calling all these homeowners, uh, business owners in Texas trying to sell them, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of shares in in Tesla to Texas where yeah. they love oil, they own oil. <laughs> and so all of them laughed him off the phone and so you have to switch to something else. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's my first memory of Tesla. It was really interesting. Uh, but I did want to move on to uh, to this new segment uh, that we have in this episode, and that's for you uh, home gamers. Um, we we love receiving these questions, and it's uh, some of these questions are very interesting, and we can tell that we're dealing with a very advanced crowd. And we can also see that some of the questions, uh, we have some new beginner listeners that are interested in getting into the uh, the trading and investing into the stock market so we're so excited to answer these questions for you um, so i did want to start with uh uh easy question here it says uh how do you read candlesticks um and so i'm going to take this real quick and talk about um candlesticks was generated in japan um, and they actually had the first stock market uh, i'll try to keep it short it's just there's so much information i'm so passionate about this topic here um, but what they did is, since they they had um, uh, trading and investing a lot earlier than us, uh, 1500s, I believe, 1600s, um, their progress of analyzing technical um, uh, indicators is way more advanced than us. So they actually created, uh, about 100 years ago, a new way to understand charts and price star, uh, charts And so a candlestick is basically defined by four points. The first point is your open. The second point is gonna be your high of the day. Third point is gonna be your low of the day. And the last point is gonna be the close. And they designate a color. um, On the old charts, it was white or black. Nowadays, it's green or red. And all that dictates is, is the open higher than the close? If the open is higher than the close, um, that means that the, uh, the bar is going to be red. It means that the price dropped because let's say it opened at $10, it closed at $9. Well, the price actually went down. That candle is going to be red, signifying it was a bearish candle. Bears actually, um, that's a descending trend, bulls um, going up. And so there's this old saying, it says uh, the bulls go up the stairs and the bears jump out the window. And so I don't know if you uh, you guys uh, love to look at charts. That's what I do. But you'll notice that the it usually takes a long time for the market to go up. But it doesn't take a lot of time for the market to go down. So the bulls take the stairs. It takes a long time to go up. The bears jump out the window, and that's why they tra- travel a lot faster. Anyway, a little bit of humor there. Um, so that's basically it. Reading the candlesticks is um, – you're trying to see the patterns of where they open and where they close. And when you're reading multiple candles together, they sort of form patterns that dictate fear and greed emotions. Um, And so usually there's uh, percentages that increase um, the likelihood of something happening. I wanted to move on to the uh, another question here. Uh, It says, what are good market indicators? Um, that's a good question. We did go in, um, excessively last episode discussing some of the indicators, how we sort of gauge the temperature of the market. Everson did a great job of going what he looks at. Um, so that would be a great time to go back in that last episode and look at some of the markets that uh, indicators that we're talking about. Everson, real quick, uh, can you name two or three that you sort of look at to give you a quick analysis of the market temperature yeah, gauge? so.
2: Yeah, so well, when I'm looking for individual stocks, are you talking about a market in itself?
0: Just in general, just three quick uh, market indicators that right, sure so, give you a temperature of the market.
2: Right. So if I'm looking at the overall, I'm looking at the indexes, right? Your S&P 500, so your Dow Jones, NASDAQ. I'm um, also looking at the VIX, which is the hedge against the market. These are indexes, which means that you can't invest in them. You can only look at it as a gauge of Uh, compiled stocks we kind of talked about in previous episodes so i look at that indicator to get a a good market feel to get to get the good temperature of where where we are Um, i'm also looking at how many days as far as the history so i'd definitely be looking at the charts on on a lot of these not necessarily on the indicators but when you start to go on a micro uh, managing scale i will look at individual stocks and look at where they are with the what they call the rsi or the william percent r um, just to get a good indicator and feel where a particular stock is or uh, you know, this and that. It helps okay. me to better my trade that way. And then I look at price point. I look at the, the fundamentals. Um, I dig kind of deeply into that uh, on a particular stock uh, or even like the fundamentals on an overall uh, macro scale. Um, looking at the, say, for the Dow Jones, S&P 500, NASDAQ, if it's too high, or the fundamentals aren't aligning, uh, aligning for uh, something such as NASDAQ has a lot of technology stocks. So if I'm looking at a buy, being a buyer of AMD, I'm looking at the forward progress, where I think that the uh, the, the sales point would be for them, uh, whether they're accumulating new contracts or not. So if I don't see it happening, if there's not a lot of talk, if there's not a lot of moves going on, then I'd probably more than likely be a seller, which is why I think that uh, AMD at some point is going to be a puts right, and I've set myself up for a puts. Uh, but I I think it's getting to levels where we're we're going to start to entertain that thought process a little more. So uh, I'm there not going to be as bullish, and that's where you. You should come in, but you'll never come in. <laughs> yeah. you're, not, you're not buying or selling AMD. You just need so, AMD. <laughs> you
0: you guys you guys heard it. I asked for three indicators and he was willing to give as many uh I mean uh, that was what, eight indicators or something like mm-hmm. that. So now that it's was three. three. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um so we're gonna move on to the next uh this one um actually hey, uh, I, I
1: uh- I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to add something to it because that's one of the things that we're so different about. Like, I, obviously, I look at the Dow Jones. I look at all of them. But one thing that I do differently than Everson and you is I focus a lot more on the news. I look at online forums and everything and try to kind of understand, like, what's the market sentiment both for retail buyers and also for analysts, because if all of the analysts are negative about something, like for example, right now, no one thinks that oil is going to go up, right? So it makes it very difficult for one edge fund or something to like buy a ton of oil and try to make it go up. So that's one thing that I do a little bit differently than you guys. Just thought I'd add that.
2: Hey, Patrick, I, wow. I'm curious to know, I I'm not on me to throw you... Uh, Pretty on the bus or anything? I, I don't think I am, but yep. I, have you done much research on oil this last past week? I mean, is there any updates?
1: Uh,
0: updates. Me, we were talking about it at three o'clock in the morning. He's on a mission over there. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
2: I want to buy into oil. That's why I'm just looking at my entry point.
1: It, it's not a good time right now. Uh, we can't right. talk about it in like a few minutes, but there's big stuff coming up in the next month. So I'll okay. probably talk about it next week when we have okay. a little bit more time. that's okay but yeah don't get into it right now
2: stay
0: tuned guys next week (laughs) yeah look (laughs) at that um so this next question here um i have a i hold a place in my heart for this uh just because i just remember when i started out and and i was just trying to discover some information online and it was just so hard to understand how to get started so this question is um what is your best advice for a newcomer into the trading world um everson uh what would you tell this newcomer don't be greedy after you say welcome you know welcome
2: (laughs) yeah welcome uh but don't be greedy separate your emotions and feelings so uh essentially i think one of the first mistakes that people make when they get into the stock market is thinking that they can make a profit and trying to chase profits it's not about making money as subject, as objective as that may sound it's not about making money it's it's about separating your feelings and emotions from making money and that's how you attain the the true discipline on being an investor and actually making money when your emotions is involved you make irrational choices and decisions and we've all been there we've all been there there's no investor, not even Warren Buffett himself, that has not invested in the market and got bit. So you will get bit. But what makes a man or a woman is when they get into the market, they get bit, whether they choose to continue or whether they choose to just drop out of it. A lot of people drop out. A lot of people can't or people
0: do, it. do revenge trades and get make it even worse. Absolutely. Don't chase,
2: don't chase, don't go after it. Don't don't try to prove anything. Except the pride. Suffer the consequences, clear off the balance if you have to, and then, and then just, you know, wake up to your, your, your morning, Joe, wake up to a
0: cup of coffee. There you go. <laughs> All right, Patrick, uh, this newcomer is trying to ask for some advice. Uh, what would you say?
1: So the first question is, do you want to be an active or passive investor? Uh, so if you want to be an active investor, like you have to build your foundation. You, you're not going to know everything about the stock market right away so kind of going on to what i said last week the easiest way to get started is follow a few stocks learn what people are talking about learn what the news are and about it like what what are the assets how's the management of that company and as you start seeing trends with it you'll be a lot it's going to be a lot easier for you to like invest into it or invest against it but the first question is Like, do you want to be an active trader because then you actually have to build your knowledge base and that takes time so for a lot of people there's nothing wrong but for example my sister isn't interested in learning so for her she has her uh i don't know i think she has an index uh that follows the s p 500 and she's fine with that you know but if you want to be active you just have to build your knowledge base slowly brick by brick. And when you actually have a good grasp on it, then you can try to do like these fancier moves that we talk about. Right.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Warren Buffett, the way he describes trading is to invest into an entity, a stock underlying, whatever you call it, and be willing to stay in that position as if you could not touch it for five years, five to 10 years. And so that's his strategy. On the opposite, you have uh, day traders. Uh, I did day trading where I was making about 261 trades, 262 trades per day. And wow. I mean, that's very intense. You got me beat. There. Very intense. That sounds rough, yeah. So it's, uh, it's great advice there. Uh, you know, understand hey, Max, who you was, are. That,
1: was that before the computer automation stuff?
0: Uh, my day trading was you know what i 'm talking 000. about like the
1: algorithms
0: and everything uh yeah, I mean a big a big uh, portion a large percentage of uh the volume that we have today is basically uh, automated trades, which is sure. pretty sad um, we're going to move on to the next question here. well, actually, let me answer a question as well uh since this question uh, uh, it's very touching to me just because I remember when I was starting out. And so what I would do is is a little bit of what Patrick was talking about. Uh, Find a stock that you like, that you feel will be there for a long term, and analyze it. Understand its ebbs and flows. Um, And the more you understand its ebb and flows when it's too expensive, when it's too cheap, um, then you can get started. And to be honest, um, to me, the way I enter almost every position it's have you guys ever seen the movie oceans 11 brad pitt matt damon and the original with frank sinatra um but these guys prepare for one heist for weeks they study for weeks you know they practice what they're gonna do what if the cops catch them here how they're gonna respond and that's exactly how i i build my position i'm trying to analyze okay well if the market attacks me here, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm p- preparing all my escape plans, my adjustments, before I even put a penny into the market. So when I'm in the market and things happen, I already know what I'm going to do.
2: Just for you viewers, he's not
0: planning a heist. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, no. All We're I'm trying, trying to do, to do anything illegal. <laughs> is 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 create uh, some income from the market. And uh, I had a conversation with a very good trader a long time ago. And he said, when you make money in the market, that means you were one of the smartest people at the time in that underlying. And that's why you made money. So don't take it for granted. And like what Everson was saying is, you know, your first step is not don't to lose be greedy. money. Don't be greedy. The pigs get slaughtered out there. Moving on to the next question. These are really good questions, actually. Um, what are the best trading platforms? And I think that's a lot of uh, based on style. But Patrick, let me start with you. Uh, do you have any good experience with platforms, bad experiences?
1: Yeah, so I use um, E-Trade. And the one thing that I was looking for when I was looking for a platform for investing was stability and a company that was established. For example, some companies are a little, sh- not shady, but you know they're not as established. So I, I trust E-Trade, no problem with it. The platform is stable. There's always a counterparty when you want to trade. I noticed that I, I opened a Robinhood account, which is very popular right now. And I, I noticed that the volume is a little bit tougher to get. And I don't like the interface interface as much. So I really like E-Trade. That's one I recommend. But at the same time, since uh, Robinhood gives you a free stock, I mean, why not? It's free money. So you can open a little account.
0: Everson, what do you like? What you do you not like?
2: Yeah, I I kind of side with Patrick on that. Uh, it's all dependent upon the investor. I mean, and it, it's all dependent upon your investment risk, right? Hang on one second. I know that I'm I'm probably I had an incoming call. So am I back?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're good.
2: Okay. Cool. So as far as the platform, I I mean, I I will use Robinhood, um, but I will also use other brokerages. It's what you like best about the features that's offered, right? Every brokerage offers a special feature that's unique to them and their design. Uh, so if you're more analytical, uh, you know, I would say, you know, turn to Max and he'll, he'll probably get you uh, TD Ameritrade or something. They have some pretty good analytical, um, uh, indicators and everything. So uh, it, it, it really depends on what bells and whistles you're looking for Robinhood. <clears throat> Like Patrick was saying, it's not as established. It's a new, fairly new company. It's more of a mobile app. So it's almost like a game. Um, I wouldn't put all of your eggs in one basket when it comes to uh, brokerages. If you have money to diversify, you might want to take into consideration to diversify so that you can get, you can take advantage of the indicators that's offered at other uh, brokerages or investment
1: firms. Can I add something real quick? Yeah. Um, Robinhood is. I mean, the interface is okay. Uh, I like it if you're going to invest long-term. Like we talked a lot about uh, diversifying your portfolio between longer-term investments and like short-term plays like we do sometimes. Robinhood is pretty good if you want to buy some stock long-term. But to do short-term short term plays with options and everything I don't like it I would recommend Etrade for that but if all you want to do is add like a few thousand dollars buy a few stocks and keep them for 5 years then Robinhood is great
0: So I'm actually going to go the opposite way with Robinhood there um I've actually gone through a long stretch where I would do um penny spreads uh on Robinhood and since they didn't have uh commission fees back then uh right because if, if you're selling calls or puts for $0.03, cents, $0.02 cents with commissions, I mean, you're not making any money. That's true. And so uh, some of the spreads I was doing uh, were on Robinhood, and I was taking advantage of no commission. Uh, you know, just $0.03 cents there, and you just stack up on how many contracts you do. And it was. And since you're getting paid 3 to $0.02, cents, you're so far out of the money. Um, yeah. So it was actually a lot of fun. Um, actually, my... I called it my revenge trading uh, period. It was from uh, November to April and uh, probably my most profitable period. It was really interesting. Isn't um,
2: that how it is though, uh, as far as the industry standard these days? I mean, Robinhood really opened up the can of worms, uh, you know, sort of yeah, say, absolutely. because when they dropped that commission, all of the other companies have to follow suit I mean all of the investment firms they have to follow suit and drop their commissions or I mean maybe you got companies like Charles Schwab where they were one of the last companies to be able to drop their commissions yeah but these days if you have commissions if you're charging commissions and, and back then like I, I when I got started you had like $15 uh, commission fees you know to just buy a stock. And so, if you
1: just to let you guys know, I I paid 600 something, $650 worth of commission last month. That sucked. But, Max, why don't you explain to listeners why Robinhood and other platforms like that aren't totally free?
0: Yeah. uh, So, Robinhood, uh, since it creates a cost, a hidden cost, uh, because of the spread. Um, And so there's a thing, this might get a little technical here, but there's a thing called bid and ask in the market. And that's, Mm. there's a certain price for how much you're going to pay if you're going to buy the entity. And there's a a different price uh, if you're going to sell the entity. And so the difference between these two prices is a spread. And if you look on Robinhood and other free uh, mobile platforms, they they have a very wide spread. So that's how they make their money. You know They're selling to you something that they're getting a discount compared, or they're selling to you at something a little bit more expensive than what you would pay on E-Trade. In terms of my favorite platform, I've uh, my favorite all-time option house, uh, anytime I do a trade uh, that I've never done before, I always have to look at a risk graph. I mean, you can ask Patrick. I talk about risk graphs all the time, and it's my way that... <clears throat> It's like uh, when you know I'm doing uh, like uh, what I was talking about, Ocean's Eleven. They're looking at the blueprint of the casino or whatever. That I want to see exactly what's going to happen, and a risk graph shows you the price of your options of your stocks um, based on all the price points that it could actually attain during that period of time. And and so I need to see that information, and that's where I start building my strategy. So Option House to me is the best, but second place would definitely go to Think or Swim. It's an advanced platform. It's not very user-friendly. If you're just starting out, uh, I would go with E-Trade. E-Trade's a lot more user-friendly, and they have developed in the past three to four years uh, much better tools. Uh, so it's not quite at the level of Think or Swim, but it's uh, definitely improved in the past you know, three, four years. Uh, so E-Trade, if you're just starting
1: out. Hey, just when Hood is down... E-Trade is still working. Just going to leave it at out there.
2: Hey, Ameritrade and Fidelity are two strong companies also.
0: But if you're trading according to the right concepts, even if you don't have access to your stocks, you're still in good position, right? Like Warren Buffett says, if you can't access your positions in five years, you should still come out ahead. But let's move on to the next question. Uh, so that was the platform. We're moving on to... How attentive should one be to their stocks and their positions? Uh, Patrick, I wanted to start with you on this one. Because you sort of touched a little bit on that a uh, couple of yeah, minutes Yeah,
1: that's, that's the first question. I mean, every time I talk with someone that wants to invest in almost anything, the first question is, do you want to be an active or passive investor? Both are fine. It just depends on how much attention you want to give to it because it's like a garden. Like you have to nurture it for it to grow, but not Mm -hmm. everyone has the interest or time to do that. Uh, If you're making $200,000 a year at your day job, are you going to spend like two hours a day watching the news about your stocks and like uh, following the stock market? Probably not. Like you might be better off just investing in a more passive vehicle. So it's hard to answer the question without knowing the person's specific circumstances. But I'd say that for someone that wants to consistently beat the market, you want to be more active and more uh, attentive to like your position. But if that's not you, then just go with like an index fund or something like that.
0: Okay, Everson.
2: So when actually trading stocks and, and everything, what I would say to that is you you really have to start to understand what kind of investor you are first and foremost. I mean, whether you're, if you're a conservative trader, um, then, you know, older in age, and then also knowing where you are as far as your age bracket. um, Only reason being is because the older you get, the less investment risk, usually the less investment risk you could take. Um, You're not going to be like 100% speculative when, you know, it's coming time for retirement unless uh, you got a lot of money saved up and you don't mind taking that risk. I mean, obviously there's risks in, in personalities and characteristics, but I'd wanted to show you, and I don't know if, uh, if you could see this uh, because of the glare and everything, but I'm going to try and give it a shot, but I don't know if you can actually see on this here where it says the requirement, uh, what does it say? It requ- maintenance requirements. So this is a Robinhood platform and what it does is it it kind of helps you to be able to to get an indicator on how much time attentiveness it, it may take on that particular stock. So in this case you're looking at ORC and it had a maintenance requirement of 75%. So your your initial requirement they say it's uh, re- re- initially requirement 80%. The volatility all that means is volatility. So if the volatility is high in the stock, in the particular stock you're looking at, then you you're gonna want to spend more time on it because especially if you're just getting into the market, you're not doing calls and puts. Um, you're you're just subjective to the gains. If it, you're you you lose money on the downfall, and that's what most traders do. I mean, that's what my dad did when he got into the market. He it was new to them to even understand that you could trade against the market or against a particular stock. So um, it's almost like the, the, the ho- finding the Holy Grail or something, you know? Yeah. So when you find out that you could actually bid against the stock. So it's an investment risk and it's tolerated individually, but you got to find out what kind of trader you are. If you're a conservative trader, you know, touching uh, volatile stocks, is probably not something that you want to do. So, kind of figure yourself out, find what your your trading style is, and you know, base judgment on there, off of there. I think
1: that's a very good tip, uh, Everson. Looking at the volatility. Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys are
0: good at this stuff. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna add to it. I mean, you guys basically answer the question. I'm just gonna add to it. It depends how long you want to invest in a in a certain vehicle, and the other thing is what. Specifically, are you investing in like if you're investing Absolutely. in utilities? You're just if you're doing dividend trading, you can be yeah, um, Very unattentive. I mean, you can basically sit on your position watch that dividend come in uh, Utilities mm-hmm. are very stable and that's the reason why they pay out that dividend. That's um, why they call it mailbox into, money And it
2: depends yeah. though on what I've you never heard in. that
0: before actually it's interesting and um, it
2: Depends on what you invest in if you're investing purely on dividends and you know your R I E T looks attractive. That's attached to the real estate. Right now is not a good time to buy. It's not a good time to buy because not a lot of not a whole lot of people right now on a shutdown economy is looking to go and buy a house. I'm sure yeah. that the interest rate may look attractive. I, I'd say as soon as the the government starts to open up again, then you may see a flood of people um, going in to, to look for. Uh, purchasing property and, and, and such. Uh, maybe the, the real estate companies would give uh, incentives for buying now uh, type of deals. But I mean, we we still need to weather the storm, so sort to of speak. So uh, don't think that just because, you know, the RITs are offering a high dividend rate that you just go and jump in the van wagon. be smart about your investments.
0: There you go. That's a very good point, sometimes misleading. And I think, Patrick, one or two episodes ago, you sort of talked about, possible, uh, dividend traps. Um, yeah, so there you go. We're tying in. We're making sure you guys are getting some amazing knowledge here. Uh, the next question here is basically what's the difference between puts versus calls. And I think Patrick, you said you did want to talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, the easiest way that I try to explain it to people is kind of insurance. So when you sell a put, you're selling someone the option of selling you the stock at a certain price when you sell a call you're selling them the option of um... right (laughs) okay this is confusing (laughs) <laughs> anyway so when you buy a put uh, when you buy a call basically you're you're buying the option of buying a, a stock at a certain price when you buy a put you're buying the option of selling a certain price so it's kind of like an insurance premium and then you have to pay that premium to get that insurance so it, that's originally it was a method of uh, hedging your risk against the market movements but now it's been used a little bit more to like trading make money through it but originally it was to add your position so for example uh if you have i don't know let's use random stock uh, yeah apple and the stock is at 250 and you're concerned that later on it might drop well you can sell a put at 240 so if the stock drops to 200 you can sell it to the person for 240 so you would have that $40 that you saved. But the problem with that is that you have to pay a premium to get that option. So it's really an insurance, and that's the best way to describe it.
0: Good, good. I'm just gonna add to that uh, that calls is, if you're buying a call, you're hoping that the, the stock goes up, and sometimes people get confused. So the way I learned it is you call upstairs, you know so you wanted to go upstairs and for puts you know you put somebody down you know uh so that's the way i remembered it it sounds silly but you call up <laughs> and you put down and so when you're buying those options those are the directions that you're hoping things would
2: is that what but, they taught you in wall street
0: uh no that's uh actually that your... no actually no they they were so scared of options back then they were not willing to offer those uh yeah, they weren't well, willing to offer options to uh, to uh, invest. Hey Max,
1: um, why don't you talk about cash covered puts, and I'll just mention covered calls if you don't mind. Um, that's that's a
0: pretty long subject. Very here, briefly, just trying to get I'm just trying to get through the, as many questions as possible. All right. Like this one's way is pretty important. Um, someone wanted us to describe what a stop loss uh, is, and I guess. We've mentioned it a couple times in the episode. Uh, So Everson, you wanted to talk about stop losses.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Hang on one second, I'm just doing a little note taking. So stop losses, always have them. Especially if you're investing in stocks, always have them. What they are, are, if you bought a, for instance, as an example, if you bought a stock, let's say you bought uh, X amount of shares in uh, General Motors, And it's gone from a price point of $12 per share. And now it's at a price point of $20 per share. You think that it's going to go up for the long run. You want to set your stop losses just in case the market turns for the worse. That's what a stop loss is. And it's basically you looking at what they call a limit order price. And you price pointing that limit order price. Uh, And I'll give you a deeper example. I'll micromanage this a little more say that you had price pointed is that $20 per share right now? Right. Uh, I don't think that it's at $20 per share. I don't know what it's at right now. Uh, but as an example,
0: you would so the, set the order these... would say stop loss, right? No, the uh, order, would limit say... order would sell above that.
2: Right. Oh, right, right. Uh, yeah. or it has a stop limit also. Uh, so yeah. I guess it depends on which brokerages you use. I've, I've seen it where it says stop limit. Uh, Uh, I've seen it where an ally it says just limit and You would put in whatever the strike price you uh, You determine Um, so the strike price is the price in which it's actively being traded at right? So in this case, it's $20. We made up that number Uh, I would say 10% Below 10 to 20% if you move that much I'd say 10 to 20% below the value so um, I uh, I I don't let me go ahead and just calculate that real quick. My computer's a couple years old, so it doesn't act as fast. <laughs> so $20 or minus about let's go with 15%. If you did a 15%, it'd be about three dollars. So you just minus three dollars from twenty dollars and set that as, as your price, right? So it would look it would look like obviously 17 bucks, right? 17 bucks on X amount of shares and uh, make sure you enter in that, the amount of shares and also the strike price in which you determine. In this case, we determined it'd be about 15% under the value and that's where it would automatically trade once it hits that strike price.
0: Yeah. So I agree with Everson. Always have stop losses or like uh, Patrick said, you know, a form of insurance on your positions like buying puts, puts uh, if yeah. you own the stuff um, and that's
2: if you want the dividend if you want to just sit on the dividend you have a strong belief of the company yeah sit on the dividend buy puts uh that's how i feel about um my position with orc i, I mean you 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 both know more than anything how i feel about orc with that so um we don't have to go into a deep discussion on it but yeah uh, i'm a i write it, write it till it dies. <laughs> <laughs> till but
1: die. but this is important. is You've been following it for a long time. And for that's a long what we've time. been talking about the entire thing is that because you have that base knowledge of the company and what they do over time, you know when it's too cheap and when it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. So you can exploit that's right. that. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to tell people is you need to build that knowledge base and then you can mm-hmm. do those plays because you, you yeah. have a feeling for where it's going.
2: Right. That was the best advice, Patrick, I think that you gave or, you know, you you got to spend that time to understand that two or three stocks that you look into. Um, I think that was really good advice. And,
1: and that won't happen overnight. Like even if you read and all night about one together. stock, you just won't yeah. grasp the intricacies of it.
2: All of yeah, us, yeah. even all of us put together, will never know enough about what's happening in the markets. And, we, and you will never, ever get to a point, not even Warren Buffett himself will ever get to the point of knowing everything about the market. I mean, he... He played down the internet boom, I think it was, right? And he played down the Amazon boom. So, I mean, you'll never know enough about
1: it. because Delta uh, in the 40s. The thing is, the thing about Warren uh, Buffett,
0: he does a lot like what I do. You guys are talking about AMD and some of the high risers over there. And to me, I don't understand enough, so I just sit on the sidelines. And so Warren Buffett never touches anything that he doesn't fully understand, um, just to improve his odds. So we're, like we're talking about the stop loss. Can I say um, something real the, quick? Yeah, sure.
2: It's like Max and Patrick. They'll never get into AMD or Tesla. So they'll never make the money. So.
0: <laughs> oh, Cheap <laughs> shots. Shots have been fired. <laughs> hey, but you know what? Uh, I'm going to go with consistency. And you, know, you, look, at my, you look at my weekly, it's just I'm hitting playing. the marks every week. But uh, so I just wanted to finish real quick with stop loss. And what it does is reduce your exposure to the market. So like Everson was talking about a $20 stock, but now your exposure is only $3, and so if you're looking to to make your 2 to 1 ratio, the stock just has to go up to $26 for you to make your 2 to 1 ratio, uh, which means you're trying to make $2 for every $1 you're risking. If you didn't have a stop loss and you were exposing $20 to the market, that means you would need the stock to go up to $60 in order for you to meet that 2 to 1 ratio. So stop loss very important. Doesn't matter Absolutely, what form you're yeah. you're looking at, as buying puts or insurance or just a you know a a stop order, um, it's very important. And like when I do my whole analysis, when I'm trying to look at the blueprints, I make sure that I understand what my risk is, and I I, I try to see how to mitigate that. Now hmm. it looks like this question here, Patrick, is what you were you wanted us to talk about a little bit. It's it's asking what's the difference between buying and selling puts?
1: Oh, buying and selling puts. Right, so very interesting. So the quick version is buying puts is kind of a form of insurance. as I was explaining earlier, let's say that the stock's at 250, you're worried that it might go down, you can buy puts to kind of insure yourself against a drop. And then you, depending on which uh, expiration date you want to go to, you can put it in a, a one or two years out if you want. Or you can go shorter term, which are less expensive. Now, selling puts, which we do a lot, I mean, we can go pretty in-depth about it. But you're kind of betting that the stock is going to stay sideways or go back up then you would collect a premium without having to purchase the shares. Does that mostly answer the question?
0: Yeah, that's basically it.
1: Uh, but see, buying... that, second, that second phase of it, just selling puts just for the sake of collecting premium, that wasn't the original intention of uh, calls and puts. That's what we do now, tra- um, trading options to make money, but that wasn't the original intent of it.
0: Well, we could talk about the history of why options were created, but from my my experience in the market and studying the numbers, the Greeks, which is that's pretty complicated stuff, and we might have some time to talk about the Greeks, Um, what I found is that the synergy between actually buying the underlying, buying the stocks, and merging it with option positions um, actually creates very powerful positions. Um, now, we did have a few questions that we're asking about specific candlestick patterns that I referred to. Um, and so, it's talking about what a shooting star is. A uh, shooting star is like what we talked about at the beginning of the segment, is the open and close are very close together, but the high of the day creates this long wick. Not part of the candle, but it's, it's above the candle, and it has to be twice the size of your candlestick. And what that signifies is that the bulls were able to push the price up during that candlestick, whether it's five minutes, an hour, a week, whatever it is. But before that candlestick was finalized, the bears were able to push it all the way down almost to the same level uh, that it opens. Uh, So that usually signifies on an uptrend it says that the market's going to go down or that entity is going to go down. And the other one, um, an evening snar, uh, is basically a shooting star, but it's when you zoom in. Um, so to give you the – this is a, a three-candlestick pattern. The first one has to be a big red bar and a red bar uh, – I'm sorry. This has to be a green bar. So the open is below the close. Uh, so, Shooting Star would be the opposite, upside down. Uh, since actually showing the picture. Shooting Star would be upside down. So, the, uh, the body's at the bottom and the wick's at the top, like that. So, it doesn't matter the, the color of the candle. Uh, the Evening Star is, a, like I was talking about, it's a three-star, uh, three-candlestick pattern. The first is going to be a big green bar because the open was low, the close was high. It's a bullish candle. The second candle is going to be sort of a doji where the open and close are very close together basically at the same price point. So you should not see a color between green or red and the last candle has to be a big red candle that closes at least halfway uh, from the the first candle which is that big red candle. So those three uh, candlesticks together. Will create a pattern that's called the evening star, and that's supposed to signify that the market's going to go down. What's interesting is, let's say you see that pattern on a five uh, five minute candlestick. If you zoom out to a um, fifteen minute uh, chart, you're going to see something that's going to resemble a shooting star. So those two are very closely um, related, depending at what time frame you're looking at. Um, we do have a very good question here that I want to make sure we address. We're very low on time right now, but it's talking about uh, overall market trends that we've noticed during this pandemic that we could prepare for in the next wave of the, the virus. Um, I wanted to start with Everson. Did you see, I mean, we talked a little bit through some of the episodes, but have you found any trends that you would be prepared for the next time this wave comes out?
2: Yeah. um, And I've been thinking about that. And I think, uh, you know, Everyone's thinking about that, but uh, I'm going to be a little prophetic on this. We're moving into uh, we're moving into a time where being able to gauge and uh, understand people uh, like never before is something big. In China, not only the fact that they you know they have the communist government that allows them to make quick changes in a society, uh, uh, you know, basically in a minute. Uh, here, we got to go through Congress and the Senate to be able to just move anything right. Uh, another thing that's, that China has uh, a head over is their uh, su- surveillance technology. They have cameras everywhere. One thing that the United States does not have is cameras everywhere. One thing that I think uh, will change is that we will have cameras everywhere. we got to be able to understand people. we got to be able to have eyes on people. And I think that's something that's moving forward. And I think we should look at companies like Cisco Systems, and you know, um, you look at look for those pop ups. That you know, I noticed like the when the virus come, came out, you had a, a lot of pharmaceutical pop ups that were literally just pump and dumps. So anytime that there's a creation of something, there's always a move to something. We look at nine eleven, right? Uh, and I think I heard it best on Bloomberg. Uh, um, Bloomberg TV, where they kind of talked about it, where not after 9/11 the after effect of 9/11 was in the United States so is the TSA. So what does the government take after that the, the pandemic is done? What, what does the government implement? because there needs to be some type of implementation. but what does the government do to reassure or to reassess that this won't happen again? And obviously, it's it's something that you, you can't be 100% proof on, but if we can identify through thermal energy whether someone has a headache, I think that's the direction that we're moving through. And maybe you get them at the airport. So maybe looking back at the airports, they start to implement devices like in China, where it shows what your temperature gauge is. And so if you don't meet the criteria, maybe you get quarantined for a day or two, see how results end. Um, I, I don't know. I mean that's the wow. That's a speculative part, but I think wow, that I've seen
0: some movies about that stuff
2: yeah, oh I, some scary happening. stuff yeah it, it's happening, but um you know, and I think the the five g technology moving into that that actually helps to assist with being able to uh, full force implement those strategy. I mean, also in automation, right we're moving into automation, so that's going to help with your uh, driverless cars. And things like that, um, your flying drones or whatever. Um, we still have a lot of dead spots with the 4G LTES um, in the United States, and some some really dangerous dead spots where you know Tesla cars would go off off the road uh, because it hits that dead zone. But with 5G technology, you eliminate the dead zones because it goes right through the concrete. So that's going to help with that. And then you can implement your thermogenic video of or, or live recording, yeah. with, you know people and i think that's what that's what they have in china so i think that's what they'll have take one right right away from the
0: population and no one will ever know but uh hey uh, patrick i wanted to move on to you um what kind of trends have you found that you you, you're gonna put that in your your playbook for the next time the uh, the virus comes out
1: yeah well so as you guys know like i'm one of the more uh bearish guys in the group just because of the fact that No, seriously, yeah, rainbow bear. No, it's just that right now, as we talked about before, rising tides raise all ships. The government's pumping trillions of dollars into the economy. The Fed is buying debt. Like, basically, you have debt, we'll buy it. And for me, that's artificially pumping the market. And then that created the fear of missing out that I talk about all the time, where now everyone wants to get in before... They're left out and the prices go too high. But the problem with this is that no one seems to analyze the ripple effects that all of this situation is going to cause on the economy. For example, last week I was talking about how uh, a lot of apartment complexes are seeing that only about 69% of the tenants are paying their rent. Well, you can see some operators that go out of business. Uh, Likewise, uh, this week a lot of the bigger banks increased the FICO score needed to get a loan. So the the lending is tightening, right? Well, just from 650 to 699, uh, 2017 data, there was about 13.2% of the population in that credit range. Well, that makes it so that there's 13% less people that are going to be able to get loans to buy a house in the next few months. That doesn't even include the people that lost their jobs. And even though we think that a lot of people are going to go straight back to work, not everyone will. So those people aren't going to be able to get loans. And that ripple effect is going to affect the REITs, as Everson was talking about. Uh, you know, the oil market's not doing well. That's less discretionary spending that people are going to pump into the economy. So the markets is behaving like tomorrow everything's going to go back to normal and we're going straight up to the top of the economy. For me, in my opinion, it's going to take a lot longer than that. And that's not factored into the market right now. So I'm being a lot more cautious. Like I don't do as many trades as I did a few months ago, just because of the fact that I I want to be sure that it's a company that's not artificially getting pumped right now. So you look at your
2: cyclical, right? the ones that will weather the storm and everything. You think that this is a V-shaped recovery?
1: I don't think so. It's going to be U-shaped. Like it's going to start, like Max is one of the guys that thinks that people are going to flock back straight to the movie theater. I don't see it happening because people are used to watching stuff on Netflix now. Like people's attitudes are going to be changed. Definitely attitudes will be changed.
0: I, I think I talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but just because we're at 286.64. uh, 286.64. It's not the same value as before the downtrend at 286. Absolutely. Why? Because you got to account for this increase in inflation, and um, a lot of people have are, are getting their checks. The government's throwing a lot of money into the market, and so even though they're at the same price point, they're completely different um, in terms of Great purchasing point. power. So yes, we're seeing the markets go up. It's still staying in that channel that we talked about last week, Um, but it's not the same value. And I I just learned this from uh, from Warren Buffett, and he says this saying's amazing. And he says, "When the tide goes down, you see who's swimming naked." (laughs) And so (laughs) I thought I loved it because right now all these stocks are getting pumped up uh, just because of that that Throw of cash, um, that basically that inflation. But once that inflation starts to to appease itself to decrease, you're going to see the stocks that were swimming naked in this tide, um, and, and I think it's going to be really interesting.
1: So there's still going to uh, be good opportunities to buy, but just be really careful. Like don't fall for the fear of missing out factor. That's all I'm yeah. going to say about that.
2: Well, do you think that the correction comes sooner than later?
1: I mean, I thought there was a dead cat balance. It didn't happen yet, so we'll see. Because I, I'm not, honestly we, not sure.
2: If we look back in, in 9-11, right, when the, in 2000, well, 2008, 2009, when we had the recession, we had a V-shaped recovery. And we, we often have these V-shaped recoveries, often. Uh, there's so much positive news that's stimulating the market. I mean, I'm looking at an update about 42 minutes ago from Nancy Pelosi saying that we're very close on a deal of an emergency relief package. That's another emergency relief package. I mean, yeah. what Patrick is saying is absolutely right. We can't afford to accumulate these trillion-dollar costs, and that's a fact. We can't afford to accumulate that kind of trillion-dollar uh, uh, cost.
1: On the credit I understand card.
2: That it, Right, or or even not just credit card, but,
0: government but spending. Not, because we're throwing so much cash into the market right now and to the population, we're not going to feel the true effects until later. Yeah,
2: But what's interesting about this, though, all in all, is that you have the U.S. dollar that's growing. It's actually getting better with the stock market getting better. That doesn't make sense.
0: Temporarily. Well,
2: but why is it happening so, that way? So I got my The dollar, team.
0: your your routine right there. as um, a safe haven. <laughs> ep- yeah, we have a special guest every episode for you, uh, home gamers <laughs> that have kept up with us. Um, but what I was going to say is that, wow, I actually forgot because of the ambulance. Um, we were talking yeah. about the- Yeah, the
1: U.S. dollar is a safe haven. Oh, so the U.S. The
0: dollar – the, the, the reason it gains or loses value is when you compare it to other uh, currencies. Right. And so right now, the U.S., even though it's losing purchasing power, it's losing it at a much slower pace than the rest of the currency. Hmm. So when you, when you compare it to other currencies um, like the pound or the euro, you're seeing a gain in purchasing power. And so it's making the dollar appear stronger, but it's actually, it's, it's still diminishing in value. It's still diminishing because of that inflation. So it depends what you're comparing things to.
2: Do you think that people are afraid to get back into the Chinese market because of all of this? And, and wow, people are trusting in the United States a little more as far as like doing business relations. I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking because I, I tend to think that people are avoiding creating contracts and deals with China because it's so, like, you look at Apple, right? They're moving a lot of their business back back home. They're, re, they're reestablishing their structure to support more home base than staying completely. I mean, the fact is, is that you can't stay out of the Chinese market, but at the same time, I, I think people... People are hurt and they're they're trying to safeguard their money. So, you know, like where do you go? Where do you where do you buy? Because you create you create a relationship in in China.
0: I don't know if you're buying U.S., that means that even though the U.S. dollar is, is losing value, you're gaining the spread between their own currency. So I understand what you're saying, you know, and that's why a lot of people are doing it. The Chinese had stopped a little while ago, but it looks like that would be the strategy for them to get back into the yes market and make money off of that spread, plus what the market's going to do. So that's pretty good insight there. All right, guys, we are definitely running out of time. Uh, It looks like we've gone over our time limit here. Um, We just want to make sure that you guys are getting some amazing content. We're trying to help you guys progress into a more consistent, confident, and profitable trader. We absolutely love these questions. Uh, some of them were very good, very dear to my heart. And I'm sure Patrick and Everson uh, enjoyed answering these questions as well because they love remembered it. themselves when they first started out. You know, I wish someone had taken the time to answer some of these questions.
2: Absolutely. To be honest,
0: I tell you, I took a class in high school, business class, and they couldn't tell me how to buy a stock. Think about that. Pretty interesting. Anyways, uh, so doesn't look like we have a lot of time for the chart take. Uh, we're still in that upwards trend yeah. that uh, we had mentioned last week. What's interesting is I said that the uh, that resistance level. One of the questions is what is a support resistance? Support means uh, multiple price points that dictate a ceiling. A resistance is the opposite. Multiple price points that dictate a uh, a ceiling. So floor and a ceiling. I said that the resistance on the spy was about uh, 286. Well, yeah, basically 285, 286. What was interesting is at the end of the day on Friday, we actually punctured through that resistance, but barely. So I'm not able to say if we've fully gone over that resistance and now turn that resistance into a support. Just because we barely made it above it uh, but I will say that Monday will be very important to dictate if we have fully gone over that resistance, turned it into our favor and made it a support, uh, because from that support, you're looking at getting back into the three hundreds until we hit the net ceiling. Uh, the next ceiling will be around 313, a little shy of that. Um, that would be where, uh, we're going to bump our heads again. So we'll see how much longer we stay in this, uh, upwards trend channel. And, uh, you know what? We've enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun. We had a lot of jokes. Yeah. And, uh, guys, again, you know, if you have any more questions, feel free to, to post it on YouTube or, uh, on the podcast. I don't know if there's a way for, for them to contact us that way, but on YouTube, just, uh, send us, a, a some information, a question. We'll, we'll, actually answer it, we'll take some time in the episode, or we'll actually uh, contact you directly and uh, find a way to work with you and help you uh, be more confident, more consistent, more profitable. So we had Everson, the giant, the leader of bulls and bear options. Then we have Patrick, (laughs) who's got the greatest smile on the show. And if you notice on YouTube, they always his smile and then you have me who uh just wanted to copy these guys by wearing a blue shirt we enjoyed <laughs> your time we'll see you in the, in the next episode and we'll see if we'll have some time to explain a little bit more about the greeks and uh, dig a little bit deeper into oil so we'll see you next time i we promise. enjoyed you guys, Hello, guys. <laughs> all right <laughs>